I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! The Roll for Initiative podcast, volume number three, issue number 150. I am DM Vince, sitting with DM Matt. Hello, everyone. And DM Nick. Hey, folks. So we're back with another show. This is issue 150. We finally have 150 issues in the bag. Wow. We now have as many issues as Dra- uh, Dungeon Magazine. Yeah, true, true, true. We are Very uh, cool. Yeah. Pretty soon, as soon as we hit September, it'll be five years officially. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. September. Five years. I don't know the exact date in September. I have to look that one up, but... That's when Jason and I first sat down for the first show, and five years later, here we are. Here we are. We'll get a big cake. <laughs> All right, fine. Anyway, so, uh, Nick, we had some reviews? Yes, we do have some reviews on iTunes. So, again, to refresh everybody's memory, uh, go to iTunes and uh, type in Roll for Initiative over at the iTunes store and just track us down under ratings and reviews, and you can let us know what you think of the show. And our first one is from Undead Pup, and Undead Pup says, Oh, man, gives us four stars, <laughs> and says, What a fun pod- podcast to listen to, exclamation point. I really enjoy the format and the topics. Great surprise special guests. Good chemistry between the hosts. After long days at the office, I look forward to listening to you guys on my drive home. Your show makes me laugh and feel nostalgic. I hope someday I have the fortune of running into you all at a convention. But in the meantime, everybody get down, get to the chopper, and keep up the good work. <laughs> so thanks, under Undead Pop. So, yeah, maybe we'll hook up with you sometime. And then uh, we have another one from DM Kurt, and it's five stars, Codex of Infinite Awesome. Whoa. That's about the best tagline I've seen. We're going to use that, I think, for the show. It's a Codex of Infinite Awesome. <laughs> so he says, this podcast is downright amazing. It's a solid dose of nostalgia laced with the present that even my kids enjoy listening to. Oh, cool. I find myself enjoying the host banter so much that I wish I could be there to hang out with them. There are times I don't agree with their interpretation of the rules or or want to point out a detail they miss, but that's what makes it so much fun. It's engaging, and every anyone serious about AD&D knows that any good conversation on the topic is going to be laced with disagreements, rules, lawyering, half-remembered stories, and references to obscure rules that you would swear you never read before. <laughs> so true. I'm glad to be past 
the dark days when Vince briefly lost his mind over player skills. <laughs> I could do with a little less wrestling talk, but let's be honest. These guys are doing this without pay on their own time or providing more entertainment that I could get from almost anywhere else. If talking about wrestling once in a while keeps them interested, then I say rock on. I've been listening to them almost nonstop since I discovered them, and I'm blown away by their dedication and consistency and quality. Any minor complaints I have from time to time are easily lost in the sea of great content. The only downside is that I'm almost caught up, and I'm only, um, I'll only be able to listen at their pace of recording, which is, to be perfectly honest, still pretty prolific. Keep up the great work, guys. So thank you, DM Kurt. That was that's an awesome review. Oh yeah, definitely. awesome review. Cool. Yeah. So, um, wrestling talk, Matt. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, <laughs> well there is a pay per view tonight. Oh yeah, as of this recording, there is a pay per view tonight, uh, and uh, yeah. So, but we won't. <laughs> we don't want to annoy everybody today. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> if you haven't noticed in, uh, from other podcasts, you know, when people say stuff like that. We generally return with sarcasm because that's just our way. <laughs> sarcasm? Yeah. Sarcasm makes the world go round. <laughs> Quick couple of uh, little things. Um, any awards or uh, nominations have been put out for 2014. Go ahead over there. The voting has started. No, our podcast is not in there. Boo. Oh, poopy. Surprisingly, not even. I figured Spellburn was going to get in there, but Spellburn didn't even get in there. Uh, the, the, this really? is the year of n- Numerera. Yeah, apparently. Uh, it's three different podcasts for that. Cause, yeah, because you'll notice with the Yennies, it's there very much seems to be a game of the year. Yeah, as it's in, like they go through phases. Yeah, it's like the one year you might as well say. The only reason like Pathfinder didn't win an award was because it was like miniatures war game and it wasn't nominated at all mm-hmm. because it didn't make it. Yeah, it's like the year when Hackmaster won Game of the Year. Then the very next year they split it to Best Role Playing Game of the Year. That's blah blah blah. So yeah, yeah, they're funny about that. I suspect that Gen Con 2015 will be the year of the D and D next podcasts. That'll be in the- no. Yeah. <laughs> Just looking into the crystal ball there and predicting. Yeah. I have no I I have nothing wrong with I see nothing wrong with it and I think it's really cool looking so far for mm-hmm. next or fifth edition. But I don't care what you package it as or say it, it's not old school. No. I don't no. Care. People keep saying, Oh yeah, D and D basic. That's D and D basic. No, it's not. It's fifth edition basic is what it is. Right. When Tiflings and Dragonborn are still considered character races, I'm I'm not in. Yeah, and, <laughs> I don't and care also, about races at all. I don't care about that. It's just it's not D and D basic. It's not the Mentor Edition. It's not um, Molve Cook. It's not uh, the Holmes. It's not anything like that. It's not anything close to those editions. But it is fun for those people who like the more powerful gaming type games. There, I right. said it right. And also remember when D and D next was first announced. Who was the lead designer? Monty Monty Cook. Right. And yet he left and started his own game. So I wonder how much of the Numerera is actually what Monty's vision of D and D next Next was supposed to be. Interesting. Yeah. So that's something that I've just always been curious about. Because yeah, I 
just from the rumblings I heard, the split between him and Watsy wasn't pretty either. So. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, wait a minute. Didn't I do this about 14 years ago with third edition? Oh, let's not recopy the same material by. Yeah. And he left. That's what might have happened there. Does, fifth edition does look promising going forward. So uh, definitely. Yeah, I, but I still don't like the whole idea, like the, the booster sets thing again. Didn't they do that with fourth? I think so, yeah. And, and they're still doing that with fifth? I'm not counting it out with fifth. It still has a chance. I have to play it and sit down. Right. I don't know. It just sounds like just here, here, throw more money, you know, here, buy some more crap that you don't need. Listen, it's Hasbro. It's I know Hasbro has to make money. And if they have to call it whatever they have to call it to confuse people into buying it, they will do. Henceforth, remember the box for fourth edition they put out that looked like Menser's box? Mm-hmm. What? That's what they're going to do. They yeah. have to make money. And also remember, at this point, I'm wondering if Hasbro sees the Dungeons & Dragons line and the RPG line as just more of a loss leader for a, a department that creates intellectual property they can actually like make video games and other things they're more interested in out of. of it's kind of like DC Comics is in the uh, Time Warner organization. DC, huh, Comics interesting. Ex- DC Comics exists to create IP so they can make toys and video games and cartoons and movies and things of that nature because yeah, it's not, not about the consistency of the comic or right like it's that. about them creating characters they can merchandise merchandise, merchandise. yeah and i'm wondering if D falls under that in the terms of hasbro it seems to be falling into that uh uh model that that uh the particular model for business model i should say yeah it's just on a lesser degree. I mean, right. let, let's face it. I mean, what's bigger, you know, yeah. Marvel or DC or, you know, Wizards of the Coast. Right. You know. Right. It. But what's interesting, I mean, when you look at the, like, the investor calls for Hasbro, usually they actually mention by name Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Then that's like, oh, yeah, Magic Growth, ridiculous. It's huge. And uh, because I get – so that's something they're actually, I think – Wizards starts focusing more energy into that just yeah. because it's making the monies. Oh, right. yeah, please. I mean, you go to the any role-playing game store, that's all they're doing is magic, magic, magic. Yeah. Yeah. Tournaments they have there constantly every week, and you get store credit to buy more magic things. So, yeah, uh, right. Magic, the uh, which was it, it's essentially it's an arms race. Whoever the, has the most amount of money or credit wins. There's nothing wrong yeah. with Mac. I just never got into it. And, you know. I, I did for a while, and it just got so flippin' expensive, you know? I just... But even like you said, even now, I mean, we're talking, what, roughly 20 years later after Magic came out? Yeah. That, I mean, it's still going strong. I know there's a store right down here. Most of their, quote-unquote, store space is a bunch of tables for Magic tournaments. Yep. Yeah. Just had a new comic book store open up down the road for me. I was all excited about it. And they have 14 tables there. I'm like, yeah, but they're all dedicated to magic only. Yeah, 14. This place has like a, probably about double that. It's oh. just like a huge store space. And they have a lot of, I mean, it's a cool store. They got a lot of uh, um, wall space for, for board games. Oh, my God. The most board games I've ever seen in a place. So that's pretty cool in that respect. But their role-playing section is like like a itty-bitty part of the wall and like a little yeah. bit. Like uh, ten feet disenchanted maybe. by that, yeah. A ten feet section—that's all I have. The one, too. yeah, 
Pretty much, yeah. That's exactly it. But, Game you know, store- what sells? What sells? Yeah. Gaming stores are dead. Unless they're putting Magic or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, they're, they're dead. Right. right, right. I mean, because look at the amount of space a game store requires that doesn't carry product, but is just there for tables so people can play. It oh. When you look at the revenue per square foot, game stores are not highly efficient. Well, yeah. if you if you were a store owner, would you rather have a gaming store that sold role playing games where the guy where the kids will come and play there, but they'll maybe buy a few snacks and a book once in a while, or put it full of magic stuff where they're going to buy booster packs every single week? Right. Exactly. Yeah, it brings it, in the revenue. Yeah, it's like yeah. the comic book store. The main thing that moves in a comic book store is the new books released every week. That's what right. keeps the main money maker. So you can also carry the back stock and the, right. the, everything else. I mean, I can understand it from a business standpoint. Absolutely. You got to have the stuff in there that keeps, that pays your rent, that keeps the lights on and keeps the toilets flushing, you know? Uh, But for me, as a consumer, I know what I like. I mean, and that's fine. Everybody has their tastes. Everybody has their differences. And I've become a little more receptive to that over the years, you know? Yeah, but I would like to see a more of a balance. I think it's gone too far one way, as far as you're talking about the mortar and brick stores. Yeah, versus how I remember the store, they had a little bit of everything, right? And to keep everybody happy. What? But well, the- I don't know. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a show we could do in the future. Maybe we could just do a show like a roundtable about the state of the gaming industry, and yeah. we could just talk all about that. I mean, that might be a good show topic. Yeah, yeah. Because right now, I mean, Magic- and we can rant all we want. Yeah, <laughs> for like two hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like right now, Magic is so hot. They're having there was a tournament in Richmond early back in earlier in the year that had. Almost five thousand players in it, mm-hmm. and yeah. that and that was just a standalone of Magic event for a weekend in Richmond, Virginia. Five thousand people, yeah. and wow. and they're just getting bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. but that might be that might be a good show topic, and we can kind of dovetail <laughs> that to how you know just the the state of the gaming industry, particularly with D and D next coming <laughs> and how that's going to impact everything. And you know how it affects like the the old school Renaissance that's been going on, and how how that just all fits together. I don't that think way. I don't think Fifth Edition is going to have any impact on the community. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no, there may be some some people that'll that'll play it and be like, "Oh, this is cool. I'm mainstream now." But they're still going to have your OSR crowd that's going to be like, "Rah, blah," right? You know, I. I I guess the question is, will we ever see another RPG boom like we did in 2000? Who the hell knows? I'm I not mean, I'm not. I sure get the feeling that D&D Next, it's, this is either, this is it. This is sink or swim with them. You know, at this, and I would say, uh, and I'm totally speculating here, but if they don't see, if Wizards doesn't see a significant, uh, influx of of money in the next let's say three years i think that's a good round number to go with then they might just dump the ip no it the the ip is worth something the ip is worth your video games your ip is worth all the other stuff 
You don't get rid of the IP. Yeah, you talk to Sega about that. Well, no, Sega just instead no Sega just got out of the hardware business. Talk to Atari. They are out of the hardware business. They all went into just creating. So they, they, they still they're still around. They still make software. They just got out of the hardware business. Sega. So with D, I do, cannot see Wizards of the Coast getting rid of Dungeons and Dragons because the IP is far too valuable. And if Has- they or ha- right or Hasbro, I the IP has value. You can do other things besides tabletop role-playing with this IP and you need the tabletop role-playing to make the IP. Or you, or it might be that Hasbro would just let wizards of the coast go. No magic. The, well, yeah, you got that magic. What What, I could see happening when I see this happening in a couple years. Hold on a second, Matt. I got a thought here. I want to finish real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go. Is Hasbro saying like Nick is saying, uh, it's not making us any money. Let's lease it out to somebody else. There you go. Like like um, uh, White Wolf did with um, um, Raven oh, Ravenloft did that. Uh, they when, when they it, yeah when they had their uh, sorcery and swords line. Yeah, that's yeah. When Wizards of the Coast linked it out, uh, sorry, leased it out to a White Wolf for that or, time or Dragonlance with Margaret Weiss. Exactly. I mean, they they essentially yeah they kind of did the same thing with when they did uh, the old D and D rules with with Kenzerco. Right. They had that agreement with them, and they just put it under the name Hackmaster. But yeah, they had they essentially leased out the rules to them, and yeah, yeah. That, that you might you might be onto something. Yeah, there. they just, the that. thing was they in with fourth coming out, they just took a mindset of we want to hoard everything. Yeah, and they their licensing agreement wasn't as good as the OGL, and because it gave them far more control to the point where they could pull your product if they mm-hmm. wanted to. Yeah, um, and I forget about how fifths is. I know uh, Numenera is has a kind of it's open, but it's also very much you better not try to make any money off it unless you're paying us a lot of money. Yeah. Wow. I love that, that 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 clause. You can make something you want, but if you make so much money, you got to give us some of that pie, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, it's there is no open OGL for Numenera, and there <laughs> is no OGL for D and D next. There's a so yeah, there is. It's open as long as you make no money off of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> make some money off of it. We want a piece of that pie, my friend. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then they were even vague about how they wanted – how much money and all of that. So it's just like, eh. I understand that. it's You created something and you want to get compensated for it. That's awesome. What's the uh, rule set for Numenera? Is that a D20 thing or percent? I don't, I don't know. I've, ne- I've never been that interested in figuring it out. Yeah, neither have I. I just didn't, it didn't appeal to me, even though it was very pretty, but didn't right. appeal to me. Uh, let's see. So anyway, uh, yeah. other things. Um, so it looks like that Eric Tanker from Tanker's Tavern will be joining us on the podcast uh, sphere. With oh, Tanker. wunderbar. He has his own podcast coming out called Tanker and the Badger, WOSR 70.4, nice. 74.4 Tavern Radio. And you can listen to their promo up right now, which I will drop the link for Matt to post in our chat in our uh, show notes you can take a listen to what they're going to sound like uh hopefully they'll be out in another week or so maybe by the time this podcast comes out they will already be uh, on the air 
we wish them luck and they'll be joining us. Uh, they should be doing uh, great shows. I already heard what their first show is going to be about. Uh, I don't know if he wants me to say anything, but it should be a good show. I'll let him make his announcement as he gets closer. So uh, check him out. So let's head into uh, um, Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Okay. We have uh, some email. We have an email today and a voicemail (laughs) from the same person. Funny that it is, but... We have the voicemail saved up and the email saved up. So if you'd like to shout out to us, that's rfistaff at gmail.com. Go to our website, rfipodcast.com. Click on contact us. Go to facebook.com uh, slash rfipodcast. You can find us there. Comment there. Go to OSR Gaming Forums. Go there. Or you can contact us on our voicemail, 570-865-4210. Or you can find us on the Twitter and uh, that's RFI staff or RFI podcast on Twitter, excuse me. And just leave a comment there or you can uh, use smoke signals and Nick will configure it out for us. Right, Nick? What? <laughs> smoke signals? No. No, oh. semaphore. Semaphore. Oh, sorry. So let's uh, listen to our first voicemail from our old favorite friend. Hey, guys. It's DM Kojo. Just wanted to call with a tip for uh, the listeners. I came across something I hadn't seen before uh, earlier tonight. They are blueprints from a company called Zero One Games on their website. The number zero o n e g a m e s dot com. They make uh, system neutral blue maps, like the old school blue maps, as well as many other map type products, modules, a lot of other different stuff. And uh, they're pretty affordable, and I can vouch for the quality of the, the blue maps, at least, that uh, they're really good. They utilize the advanced features of PDFs with overlays and things like that. And uh, for just under 2 bucks, you can get yourself a pretty impressive uh, set of blue maps for something that you can just drop in a campaign and then flesh out as you will. So I thought that'd be uh, useful to some of the listeners. They should check it out. Maybe you guys could even get the uh, creators of this uh, company to come on and do an interview. Uh, I'd like to hear more about their products. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, DM Kojo. Yeah, I've heard of them before. I was using them a while back for my uh, D20 Modern games. I used to play that. They have a lot of good modern maps and sci-fi maps. I didn't know they had fantasy maps, too. Yeah. Yeah, they have all kinds of maps. I have a few of them as well. They're really good stuff, and I, I just like the fact they actually use the old uh, Adventure Module Blue for their maps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so check them out. Thanks, Cody. Yeah. We have an email now, our, final, our email this week. Uh, actually, comes from Kojo. Well, he's just he's going all sorts of multimedia. Yep. Dual-purpose threat. That's right. <laughs> Greetings, Initiative Rollers. I have been spending a lot of time working up a town to use as a base for the players in my game and was hoping you can assist me. Are there any resources you can recommend that be used to flesh out a medieval town city environment? Also, what kind of buildings do you include besides the obvious ones, like etc.? Finally, I want to throw some love to DM Crispy. I have always enjoyed his guest hosting spots and I would love to hear him on RFI again. I think he has a lot of... A lot 
Hello. I think he has a lot of good perspective to add. Thanks, Jim Kojo. <laughs> cool. Yeah, he doesn't make us vomit at all. No. Nice. Yeah, uh, there's lots of resources. If you just Google, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah I think there's even random town generators out there online now. Right. So. Yeah, like there's a. I know Skirmisher Publishing puts out a line of books called The City Builder. There's like 11 books, and they're fairly cheap, like two, three bucks. Uh, and they'll they have like a book devoted to like the craftsman places in a city. That's not just your blacksmith or like the entertainment places, like the professional places for your guilds, your hospitals. And it talks a little bit how they would be in the fantasy realm, like mercantile places, tradesmen places, service, scholar, religious, government, and even the underworld. And there's like 11 different books. So Skirmisher Publishing has those. Um, Vorheim has a lot of nice charts in it. From that setting, even if you don't use the kind of bizarre city that it is, the <laughs> just the back of the book for generating like a city or like aspects of it is really good. Yes, one of the resources I use, uh, it's not necessarily in designing of a of a town or a city, but um, I thought I think is very useful what, as far as what goes on is you know one of the things that the your your player characters might do is like they're looking for you know hirelings or henchmen or whatever i found this one called um meat shields and uh i put the link up in our our note we could put in our notes here but it's a it's a online uh hireling and henchman generator so you go into it you select either a village or small town large town or city are you going to kick in the five gold pieces for a town crier and then boom you see what sort of hirelings that you're able to recruit for your adventuring party because i know as far as a dm that could be a, a, a long dragged out dragged out thing this one it's completely random it's you get some very cool stuff out of it so that's I, that's one resource i like to use for towns is that that whole hireling thing when as a dm we might have to go through from time to time so, oh, it's actually really cool. I just clicked on the link and playing with it right now. Yeah, it's really cool. I really, really like it. You can even record, uh, recruit war dogs. Nice. So the town crier goes out, and you might get a war dog. Like I just did one, and you got a torchbearer. There's a man at arms named Mayax. He's got a hand axe and a dagger. He's neutral. He's, his background, he's a street thug and possessions and knowledge. History of local dwarven kingdom. And another one is Monty. He's a war dog. <laughs> so a whole bunch of different ways you can get hirelings, torchbearers, and what have you. Meat shields. It'd be cool if there was one that just just general, not just meat shields. So you can get like maybe like a magic user in there or something, or a thief. well, actually, uh, if you do it a few times, you can recruit magic users and stuff like that. Sometimes those will pop up. Oh, in I the did. generator, a cleric just popped up. Okay, yeah. I got yeah. a magic user first level. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> if you just hit recruit more a few times, sometimes you'll you'll get a magic user or a cleric on, or an actual fighter or something like that. That'll that'll pop up in there. Awesome. A level one cleric that's a street thug. <laughs> yeah. You got some pretty cool random stuff like there. Like I got this one called Burdick. He's a first level fighter. 
Chainmail Shortsword. He's oh. taken an oath of silence. <laughs> this one's awesome. It's a level one cleric. He has the street thug background. His possessions are, sorry, her possessions are a shrunken head. And she kisses her weapon after combat. <laughs> See, you get some pretty cool stuff generated yeah. from that. Yeah, I have a man at arms named Aldwin whose possession is a talking parrot. <sighs> it, yeah, it, this Burdick guy, he's taken an oath of silence, possessions and knowledge. He has severed heads in a bag and he has yellow teeth. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. Someone has a possession, a notation for the Ballad of Sir Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I just got a magic user whose background is failed tradesman. Aww. Aww. He was a failure, oh. so he went into magic using. Hmm. Yeah, this Meat Shields one, excellent little uh, online resource for all those hirelings and stuff. Wow, I got a dog that's blind. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I have a torchbearer whose possession is an arrow to the knee. What? Yes. All right, here's one. Here's a war dog. His name is McGruff. I just got a, I just got a <laughs> but His notable feature, he's alignment is neutral, but notable features, evil? Huh? It's a neutral <laughs> evil war dog named McGruff, I guess. I got one that's a war dog that's name is Gromit. <laughs> awesome. Gromit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I have another man at arms whose possession is a pet rat in his pocket. Go for the eye, boo! Go for the eyes! <laughs> so, yeah, meat shields. It's really cool. Yeah, it's very no. useful. <laughs> All right, anyway, enough of that. <laughs> All right, you want to contact us? You know how to, so let's head right into our first segment. Of all the evil creatures in the world, I had to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Name is Snow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, we go into. Uh, you want me to introduce that one into table manners, Vince, or do you? Yeah, you're the uh, you're the main for table. I'm your backup. Okay. Alrighty. All right. Normally do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Going into table manners in five, four, three, two. All right, everybody. In table manners this week, we're going to do actually the rest and also the rest of the show. We're going to do a, a review of a module. I think some of you might be in uh, familiar with. Wouldn't you say, gentlemen? It might be. Yeah. They might know heard of it. Just possibly. Uh, possible. Possible. Module G one. Steeding of the Hill Giant Chief. Yes, that's right. We're going to delve into the G-series of modules. And what can you say about these? Uh, far, I know it was published in 1978. It was the first, I think, official module published by TSR back then. Was it? And it uh... Yeah, I think so. I know it's the first appearance of the Drow, and it was written. Gary wrote it between the Monster Manual and Player's Handbook. Yeah, so it'd be close. I if think it, it was their first official module that they actually published uh, for TSR by the TSR staff. I, I, I'm almost certain on that. Um, which also this one leads into Module G two. 
Glacial Rift of the Frost Giant Jarl, and then G3, Hall of the Fire Giant King, which we'll be doing later. But uh, as far as G1 is concerned, the the background of the module itself is a band of adventurers are are gathered and by a local nobility in particular if i remember correctly if it's a, if you set it in a world of greyhawk it's right around the area let me get this right it's in the the, the mountains are the jotuns right around there which is module hex p5-129 and they've been having hearing some rumors not just hearing rumors but uh, there's been raids by various types of giants. They've been marauding the different lands. And therefore, and I quote, a party of bravest and most powerful adventurers have been assembled and given the chance to punish the miscreant giants. Poor giant. So not only are you, are you hired to basically stop these giant raids, but it would appear that they are much more organized than normally than, than normal in the past. Usually they're more a little more random, a little more chaotic, but it seems like there's some organized force beside, behind the what these the giants raids and your adventuring the adventuring party is tasked out to find out who or what is organizing these giants. They feel that there is some sort of underlying force that is uh, uniting these giants in the region. So that's the basic premise of the story. And then you are led to the hill giant chief, who's no, I guess, let's see if I pronounce this right. Nazanra, I guess it would be pronounced Nazanra. Um, yeah. yeah, is a grossly fat and thoroughly despicable creature. It's not Shrek. <laughs> not Shrek. Shrek's an ogre, not a giant. But there are ogres in this module. Oh. (laughs) Sly and vicious, loving ambush and backstabbing. So you are... And and the interesting thing about the module is your adventuring party, you pretty much start almost near the outside of the the stating of the hill giant chief. There might be a small cave that's hidden nearby that you can at least duck out to from time to time if you have to. And there are some interesting, there's some good notes at the beginning of this that, you know, if you make multiple forays into it, the next time you come back, there will be guards that will be much more alert. Well, obviously, but they had to throw that in there. So, Hmm. but I just think that it's, that it's interesting at the beginning of the module as kind of a side note. It's like, you know, what is this underlying force? And that sets up the mystery that builds upon itself in the whole series, which, you know, it, the whole series is a classic. And I think this one, along with probably Temple of Elemental Evil, is probably the, probably the modules most older gamers like myself have played through. I've seen so many different people play through the G series and Temple of Elemental Evil and all the different ways that people gone through it. So let's see here. Yeah, and something to note, this module 
was originally a tournament module. Yes, that is true. So that is why you're right outside the the lair of the giants. Of the hill giant chief, yes. Right, that's why you're there, because this was a tournament module, so it gets to the action fairly quick. Yeah, it does. It does. And it doesn't mean you don't have time to prepare when you go in from like the tournament module into something probably more of a campaign setting. You're going to have more time to prepare, and that's fine. But I, I would be interested to see how it does play as a tournament module. I don't think I've ever done it that way, you know? Yeah. And it's fairly short. I What I find very interesting is it is only eight pages. Yeah. But there is... And doing the research on this and, and knowing through, throughout the years of, of this particular adventure, and I think the whole G-Series in general, there is so much more, how I should say, there's so much more packed into this than you actually expect that leads into everything else that goes you know, later on in the whole, I guess, epic quest beyond beyond the G series. I mean, there's little nuggets of information and I'll touch on to those some of those things as we talk about that and how it really is not just it's not just hack and slash. There is a mystery to be solved. And there are some things that I didn't pick up on until years later that made the mystery a little more how should I say uh dark <laughs> in in it in its outlook. A little more, uh, yeah, a little more almost Lovecraftian in a way. So, so the you know your adventure party gets to the steeding, and what when you when the adventure party first gets there though, I I <laughs> when and I know when I played through this not too long ago, a few years ago, is uh, or at least as a DM that. From the at the very beginning, I think the adventuring party kind of lucks out in a way because in the first few areas, the guards are asleep. <laughs> in yeah. fact, they're drunk and <laughs> they're passed out. So they got that going for them, unless they make a whole lot of noise and ruckus. The first few areas, you know, they they can either sneak through or you know coup de gras the giants in their sleep pretty much. Right, you, you know. know? It's the, fir- the first ogres they come across that are awake are typically the children. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing in, in, uh, I'll bring up later on about, you know, the young hill giants that they come across. There's somewhat of a quandary about that. You know, I know this is a tournament module and it's supposed to be played that way. Uh, one thing they do suggest as a DM is curbing down on the gold found in this module. Hmm. I think it's a little much, to be honest. It is a lot. And it. Tournament modules are meant to be that way for a certain reason, so I suggest crap, uh, crapping, <laughs> cutting some of it down. I was going to say crap. Yeah, crapping it down. Right. Crap okay. it down. If, as a tournament module. Right. The, now, or, maybe as a regular module, you probably keep it that way because no. somewhat foreshadowing in the future well, where you might need some of that. At, yeah. or, or actually, if you wanted to cut down on I think the easiest way is when they get sent out, just say whoever they're working for wants half. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. So that yeah, this pro- is, problem solved. <laughs> yeah. And this, again, I think even then when you're talking about, if not as the tournament module, because I could see as an adventuring party, as a tournament module, 
you're not going to have a whole lot of time to prepare to get those hirelings and henchmen and whatnot. As a as a as in a longer campaign, you you have the luxury of doing that. So I've I've seen it played where they're expected to go that they're yes the adventuring party might be somewhat powerful, but they're still getting hirelings. They're still getting henchmen and stuff like that to to fill the ranks because <laughs> they know what they're dealing with. Right, because if you look in the beginning of the module, it tells you its recommended number of players, and it is saying it's a, Optimum Mix is a group of nine, nine yeah. characters of various classes with an average experience level of it's nine. Ninth level, yeah. Nine ninth yeah. level characters. That is slaughtering a majority of adventures out there. Yeah. So you, yeah, this is a tough one. It could be a tough one. You did notice that you said it was a short amount of pages, but it's packed with information. Yeah. There's a lot of lore and stuff around the whole past few years just associated with this module, probably the whole series. It does notate that the DM has to stretch a lot of things out and make up their own Mm -hmm. uh, information for a lot of sections to describe for the characters. Oh, sorry, say the players so they understand what's going on. So that is an excuse they have in there. Yeah. But I just and I just noticed just like I said throughout the years, there seems to be a whole lot of lore and <clears throat> and st- just I guess I don't know how the way to describe it tied in with this module and the rest of the series. When in particular, you talk about maybe the world of Greyhawk fantasy campaign setting, right. you and know what? how it all kind of ties together. Speaking of that, I believe Thorkhammer did a whole against the Giants continuation of this, these modules, I believe. Yes. Yes, he did. Yes. In fact, I have one of those where there's it's kind of a side adventure dealing with the Stone Giants. Yeah, he uh, took the time to wrote up all these different modules for it. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. If you can find them, I think they're on Lulu Press. Uh, yes, I'm not. Let's see. I'm not sure. If I remember still I got mine off of Lulu. I there's a module G4, mm-hmm. which is Sanctum of the Stone Giant lore. Yeah, so he really I, dove to everything that's like kind of missing or background. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it looks and like I, Thorpe took all of them down. Oh, we did. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Too well, bad. I was lucky to get that one then. That's too bad because those are really good because I think he went with the angle of like, well, what about these other giants that appear? The stone giants, the cloud giants. So I'll yeah. have to contact him next time I see him and ask him what he did with them. Yeah, because he yeah. did Sanctum of the Stone uh, Giant Lord. Curse of uh, G5 was Curse of the Cloud Giant Queen. G6, Forge of the Formian Smith Lord. G7 was Giants in the Deep. And then he did a super module that went up to G9. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Maybe of, he pulled them nope. down. He's going to do like a whole compilation, like you said. None of those are available? No. When I go to his Lulu page, there's nothing there. Um, let's see. Let me pull up the exact how I put it. Uh, I, he was a hobbyist in 2008, encouraged to make his own adventures available to the public. But after years of doing this, it's time to take a break. If and when gamers want more from me, future products might appear. To the, all those that have been supportive of this site and others like it, I am profoundly thankful. And well, you just got tens of thousands of people interested in your stuff, Thork. <laughs> well, you know, that happens from time to time. You get burnt yeah. out, you know, yeah. you take a break. I can understand. But, Too bad you just didn't leave it up there, though. I mean. Well, you know, 
I'm sure there's reasons behind that. Yeah, because yeah. he also did Home 77 and... Yeah, that's been floating around Home 77 yeah. for a while. So anyway, back to the module. Back to the module. So the 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 steeding in itself is pretty interesting well laid out it's like a you get the the idea that it's like a uh home like a norse kind of hall feast hall and everything like that but just for giants um one of the little quandaries that we kind of alluded to is i think it's an area three there's a dormitory where there's 12 young giants that are like they're rollicking, beefy smack shouts, laughter, and blah blah blah. Now they fight as ogres if they are um, encountered. But one of the things I've noticed, and I've seen this in discussions on forums and stuff like that, when it comes to this area, sometimes certain parties have a moral quandary about killing children. You know, based on despite there being hill giant children and they're evil. I just noticed that that was one of those things that gets into kind of a heated debate. So, I don't know. Do you might have that with an adventuring party, particularly? I, and I think I've seen it where, like, if someone's playing in the party, and they might have some sort of moral issue with that. So, just one of those things. If you, if, if as a DM, you you would play something like that up. Me, I leave it up to the players. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to make a moral uh, judgment on. So, also through the module, and you come around some rather common things. The ma- there's maids' chambers. You do come across the hall of the th- uh, the, th- uh, the chief, his area. Uh, you also come across the there's a separate chamber wife, and yeah, there's a lot of gold in this uh, this module. Or at least a lot of items that are worth quite a bit of gold. Um, one of the things I like to focus on is some of the areas that kind of lead up into the mystery of the module that 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 builds upon itself going to the next two modules. And one area in particular, and you never know who, you know, as an adventuring party, where they're going to go. You, you know, they're they're going to go wherever their nose takes them. Now, one of the areas is there's a, a small tiny uh, dining room, uh, room 10, but 10A off of it is an alcove where basically they, they stacked firewood. There's logs of wood in there, and in the, in, the, in the stack of logs, there are several scroll tubes, and one of these scroll tubes is marked with a, with a triangle containing a Y, and inside the scroll tube, the adventuring party finds it written in giantish some sort of pl- some plans for the next raid and it was signed El Clavdra. So that starts the mystery in a way if they come across that first. So they have to question who is this El Clavdra person? Are they the ones the is this the mastermind behind the whole all these raids? And then there's so there's that part that kind of that could kick that off. Another area that I thought that kind of kicks off the idea of what the heck is going on is the actual of uh, the the large great feast hall, the long hall area of area eleven, where you have Chief Nasnara 
and his wife, the sub-chief, and you have a cloud giant and three stone giants, the whole lot of hill giants and some ogres, and to top that off, a cave bear. Now, as if I was going through this module as an adventurer, you know, I got, you know, I got my ninth level fighter or whoever he may be. That's or uh, or more than likely I'd be, <laughs> or more than likely I would be uh, playing a cleric because no one else in my part in my venture my the, my group likes to play clerics. I'd be wondering who got together all these different races of giants. You know, you got cloud and stone giants here along with hill giants. What is going on? Maybe the or thing. you might be led to believe maybe it's the actual maybe it's the cloud giant that's leading this whole thing, you know. So mm-hmm. you never know. Again, that builds upon the mystery. Maybe one of these giants is a cloudra. Maybe the cloud giant is a cloudra or the stone giant. You know, mm-hmm. you could play that up because that might be an area where the party might want to take prisoners, <laughs> start to do some questioning here. You know, who do you work for? <laughs> You know, stuff like so, uh, that. Just to interrupt real quick, Nick, uh, some breaking news. I mm-hmm. did I did speak to Thorcammer, and he is giving me the modules to distribute to the fans. Yay! Yay! So once I get them, I'll have them on a link, and I'll give it to Matt to put up on our site for you guys to download. So, yay. So we'll have all the individuals plus the super module uh, as soon as uh, Mr. Thorcammer can get to uh, sending them. Sweet. And there was much rejoicing. Yay. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you for that breaking news, Vince. You're welcome. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Back to you, but, Nick. I mean, I mean, but what do you think about that, Vince, about, you know, coming upon that great hall, you too, Matt, you know, seeing all the different races of giants and the ogres together. I mean, be, as a player, what you're like, what the deuce? Yeah, I'd be frightened of that. Right. Yeah. You'd be like, what is going on here? Who has enough? power and influence very brave and influential giant <laughs> yes it, that's what it feels like it feels like a mafia gathering of the various families meeting yeah together. that's yeah you don't yeah you're you're absolutely right it's kind of like an underworld kind of like gathering of all these different giants and who has enough power and influence to bring all these different races together so it kind of builds upon that mystery and who knows has the adventuring party found that scroll tube with the, the, the message from a clobdra yet? Or and if they have, like I said, maybe maybe they might be led to assume that this is a clobdra, this cloud giant. Who knows? Oh oh we killed him. Oh now we gotta use a rage that. I don't know. <laughs> but that's just one of those areas cool. that kind of builds upon that that mystery. And so you got some other you got the kitchen. I love the kitchen area, particularly the picture in the module <laughs> of the hill giant with the big frying pan beating up on an orc. <laughs> I just love that picture. And it, it has so a pig great. face, by the way. Yeah, and it's a pig face yeah. horse. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I love the kitchen area, how they're using orcs as slaves. Uh, as slaves, and that does play into later on in this adventure. Yeah, those there is. Def- Gruntled. <laughs> yeah, they look like disgruntled employees. Like, please, please don't hurt me with the firing pan. And the other one's like, I'm glad I'm not him. 
I'm just fetching a pail of water here. <laughs> then they have the other uh, hill giant woman with the big old meat cle- uh, meat knife saying, hey, get back to work. But um, yeah, that lends into the thing later on where the adventuring party finds out that there's a revolt going on in the dungeons below. Why so, can't the giantesses, or they call them, why can't yes. they be, be attractive? Why do they all have to be ugly? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't there any attractive hill giant women? Do you want attractive hill giant women? Of course. Okay. <laughs> he likes his ladies very large. Yeah. Very tall. I like yeah, the tall ladies. Make them all looking like Lucy Lawless. <laughs> okay, and I would not complain at all. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> Next. Oh, one of the other uh, areas I love is there's a weapons room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The weapons room. There, and there's this plus two magical warhammer, if you're lucky to come across it. Yeah, I had a question about that. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the one that, the magic with the mouth on it? Yeah, the magic yeah. mouth. What the, the hell? <laughs> it only speaks to dwarves. <laughs> and it speaks to, here's a kiss for you, runt. <laughs> That's the only thing it does. Yeah. But what the heck, right? Well, what about the uh, the game, the main guest chambers where they have that torch, but it's not really a torch. It's actually a giant slayer. Yeah, you know what? There's another interesting kind of enigma in this module. It's like, what? Why is there a giant slain sword that's in a guest room that is disguised as magically disguised? as a torch what what's the what's the story behind that right and it has you know? an, an ego <laughs> yeah it's yeah an, it's, it's an, an intelligent short sword i believe yeah, yeah it, is. it is an intelligent sword. so you're like neutral good yeah how would a and neutral so good like, intelligent story behind that yeah how does a neutral good intelligent sword end up in a guest chamber who was this other guest that had planted it there maybe you could tell some whole story about some of the like the Warhammer was placed by like a spy or something and same with this uh, Giant Slayer disguised as a torch. These were actually placed by someone else who had snuck in. Maybe a traitor uh, giant or something. Did they also put the magic mouth one in there just to screw with people? (laughs) No, maybe maybe he hit it really good and this is, they put the magic mouth in there too (laughs) so the dwarf will find it. Here's the only thing I could think of along with that. So this is the guest chamber for the cloud giant and for the three stone giants. Now, what I would go as on the DM side of the screen is maybe that this giant slain sword that they had disguised as a torch, maybe it was in possession of either the cloud giants or the stone giants. Oh, yes. Maybe it was, they owned it. And maybe, you know, like how mafia bosses are, <laughs> if you're not... If you're not happy with the other guy, you know, you might want to whack him. Maybe this is the way they were going to whack the other guy. Maybe they're going to whack Nasnara if they don't like how things were going. Yeah, the giant. they were going to take over. Yeah, the giant using the giant slayer sword to fight other giants. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, that's that's how I would approach it. Right, and having it disguised. they have this meeting with Nasra, and if they don't like how things are going, maybe in the middle of the night they take that sword and doink. Knock them off, and now they're the head of the whole thing over here with the other hill giants. Could use it that way. 
That's yeah. the only way I, I could think of is like, why the hell is that thing there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and why is it disguised as a torch? So that could be a, a tie-in that somebody might use. So, so you got different. So you have the orc slave quarters. That's issue, if, area twenty. That's up top. What if it's a good like side adventure to set this module up? Good point. Yeah. And they don't even know it, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, I remember we did that," and you know. Send them- <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. You could res- do it that way. A resistance group hires them to do it way back when they're lower levels, and. Now it's time to go back and get it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Absolutely. Hmm. Anyway. No, I was just, uh, well, I eventually, like, after the kitchens, there's, there's a, there's the orc slave quarters that they might run across. So they'll get the, uh, they'll probably get the lowdown from those orc slaves about the uprising happening in the dungeons below between the uh, orcs and I, and the giants and the, and the bugbears that are in uh, the, employee of the giants. So, and that's a whole other thing. There's some interesting things just in the dungeon below, but, um, let's actually, let's get to that. And there's, I think there's two areas, at least for me, Mm -hmm. uh, as a DM, when I was going, when I was reading through this on the dungeon level. Now, like I said, that there's 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 this kind of this there's this war going on in the dungeons below between the the bugbears that are employed by the the giants and the orc slaves that have been used as laborers throughout the the steeding, and they've set up several areas around this the dungeon level. And so you have one area, which there's a there's area three, which is like a huge cell block. And you come across some um, couple of human prisoners. One's a, a merchant who's now insane. There's a, another human who is an engineer who was kept alive to help excavate and design the areas. And then there's an elf fighter magic user you come across who would be a good uh, addition to the party. Then there's a trap of three skeletons. And then you find a, a cell with three or five captured orc rebels. So with the whole of the orc rebels, there's a, rebels, there's a, another, could be another moral quandary for your party. It's like, do we really want to side with orcs? You know? It's one of those things that had kind of been introduced into the module. It's not really hinted at, but knowing how adventuring parties go, they would think, you know, orcs, you know, let's let's kill them. They're evil. They're they're monsters. But they might be useful because you know the whole enemy, the <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So so that could be uh, a way of getting through the dungeon level. So. That's that whole, I, I want to say that whole dimension that could be, uh, that could pop up when you get to this area. It's like, will they side with orcs, at least temporarily, to get through to the, through to the other areas? But there's two places in particular that I find very interesting in, in this, in the dungeon levels. Area 17A, the weird 
abandoned temple. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's that. And here's the, here's the description. The room is faintly glowing purplish green stone. Now, Note the purplish green stone. That's very important. Okay. Card with disturbing shapes and signs would seem to stare out from the walls and columns to shift position where the watcher's back is turned. Touching the walls makes one chilled, and contact with the pillar causes one touching it to become nauseous. The far west of the temple is the altar of pale yellow-gray translucent stone. Feels greasy to the touch, but has no effect upon those who touch it. Behind this altar is a flight of low, uneven steps, which lead to an alcove with a concave back wall of purplish-black, glossy appearance. The purple is very important. Keep that in mind. Um, If a creature stands before this wall and gazes upon it for one round... A writhing amorphous form of sickly mauves and violets will be seen stretching its formless members towards the viewer. The sight causes the creature seeing it to have a 50% chance of becoming insane. If the creature does not go insane, a touch upon the curving wall will cause a scarab of insanity to appear upon the altar for the first one doing it. First one so doing, and a 5,000 GP gem for the next. Okay. The purple, the amorphous creature that's reaching out towards you. Insanity, all that. If anybody knows the lore and legends that surround the World of Greyhawk Fantasy campaign, say, might know what my, I might be alluding to. But what it's actually alluding to, and I didn't, know, I didn't put the pieces together until years later, and I saw other people do this too, is the Elder Elemental God from the World of Greyhawk campaign yeah. setting, uh, Tharzadun. So there is a tie-in, possibly, with the module Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun with this, with this area. And also lends to, okay, who made this temple? And how does it tie into possibly Eclavdra? And I think Eclavdra, she's not actually allied with Lolf, which you'll find, which you know we find out later on that Eclavdra is one of the Drow. You know, big spoiler alert. Yeah, right. Everybody knows this module, but <laughs> Eclavdra is actually a worshiper of the Elder Elemental God, and maybe this is a temple that she either constructed had constructed or discovered. So there might be that angle going on with the elder elemental god, uh, Tharzadun. So what do you think of them apples? (laughs) So that, that might be the tie in with that as far as the world of Greyhawk campaign setting is. So some, something to think about, you know, and the other area that I thought was interesting besides there's this whole era of troglodytes down below, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just a bunch of troglodytes that were minding their own business. And now they're all caught up in this, all, all this hijinks between the bugbears and the, the, the orcs in a potentially devastating area with carrion crawlers. And then I also and like the random family of uh, lizards. Yes. <laughs> That's where it could be very dangerous because, you know, you go through that cavern of carrying 
crawlers and then, then giant lizards show up and start munching on your body if you've been paralyzed by the carrion crawlers. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Aren't, aren't cavern ecosystems fun? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's also the cistern, so you get the fun of going through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the other area I thought was interesting was the chief's treasure room. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, the secret, the fake one, and that well, that's the the overflow room. Well, yeah, there's the there's like the false one, yeah, typical Gaxian manner, <laughs> and then there's that then there's the actual one. I'm talking about the actual one because hmm. the actual one they find, which leads to the next module, a a map found in a watertight cask. Showing the glacial Rithafrost giant Jarl in an obsidian box. And inside this obsidian box is this weird black metal chain. And there's instructions written in Hill Giant on a sheet of human skin. It tells you basically make a figure eight. And then each of the figure eights you can have, I believe, up to six persons each of the uh, figure eight. So you can teleport up to 12 people outside of the glacial rift. So that immediately takes you there. Hence, probably, yes, this is was lending into the tournament part where you just go right into the next section. So I thought that was interesting that they had that figure eight loop. Uh, of magical chain for you, but it only works going to the glacial rift. Right. And it doesn't say it can take you back. Right. So it's a one way trip. And then there's another, um, and then there's this kind of set you up for the glacial rift. You get some magic arrows, a plus three magic spear and get this folks two, not one, but two flaming swords. One of them intelligent, one... Actually, both there are both intelligent. Yeah. So that definitely sets you up for the next module. So that's a total of three intelligent swords you could be walking away with. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but you're going to need them. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to need them because Glacial Rift is tough. Compared, yeah, this one is tough, but Glacial Rift is really tough. Because now you're not just dealing with giants, but you're also dealing with the environment. So, anyway, that's kind of my my breakdown and my take on steeding of the Hell Giant Chief. I just and I just love that that weird abandoned temple room. It did did not make any sense to me till years later of what it could possibly be until doing the research and reading what other people might have said, just tied up in the whole lore of the World of Greyhawk campaign setting. I'm like, holy moly, yeah, that could be it. So I forget the chance to go insane by staring into it. <laughs> yeah. So but that leads into the whole thing about Tharzadun, the elder elemental god Tharzadun, I believe he is known as. And um how Tharzadun is like basically Greyhawk's version of Cthulhu. Yeah, and then if you pass the chance to become insane, the scabbard of insanity, I believe it was. Yeah, the scarab of insanity shows up. Yeah, it's just poof right there for yeah, you. There yeah. you go. Now, what does that mean? Will you maybe become a secret worshiper of the elder elemental god? <laughs> hmm. Or a thousand? Who knows? Like, like I said earlier, it's like 
now I read about it, there's some kind of weird Lovecraftian elements to the Giant series. Yeah. Subtle undertones. And we know from what Gary Gygax wrote in, like, in the DMG and as far as, you know, his influence, Lovecraft was one of his influences in the game. So what do you think, Vince, of this module and how it all kind of ties in? Well, my major concern, like I said in the beginning, is the amount of treasure giving in this module, especially the number of uh, intelligent swords being thrown out in there. Um, I would definitely... Yeah, I guess, I guess that could be a, a, a point of concern, absolutely. But I would maybe at ninth level it shouldn't be too much of a concern because they are ninth level, tenth level, eleventh level. So I don't know. I just and I there's also it, supposed to be like nine to twelve people as well. So you're splitting everything nine to twelve ways, right? Yeah, but there's still quite a bit of money in there. There is, but I looking at it from a campaign standpoint. I don't think that's much of a breaker because if you're going to have hirelings and henchmen and what have you, you're going to have to pay those people. And well, you already have a small army walking around if you have nine to ten people as it is. So. Right. Yeah. And if that that and if with henchmen and hirelings, you might have like half a platoon practically. Not to so. mention followers at ninth level. Right. So, yeah. Right. So it evens itself out. But no, it's actually really well written. Uh, there's a lot of spots for the DM to improvise and throw out some good role play, too. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like at those couple places of moral, possible moral quandaries. Yeah. You know, the young right. hill giants and then maybe siding with orcs. I can already see the party that I'm running this adventure for just slaughtering those young hill giants. That's what happened to mine. Yeah. They killed them. Okay, figured. So there was there was a bit of a debate. I do recall there was a bit of debate. They were like, well, you know, they're just young. I mean, they don't know it, but they're hill giants. They're evil. You know, that was that went around for a little bit. And I think, and I'm talking like in the Hackmaster version of this uh, is actually like the compilation module against the giants. But it's really not that much different. And I think what we had someone playing a knight errant, which is basically a a landless knight. He he didn't want to he didn't want to kill him. He didn't want to hurt him. I think they might have. I think they might have used a sleep spell or no. It's like the baby kobolds or whatever that module with the baby orcs was or, it? No. Yeah, yeah, baby yeah. Oh, right. Gibby kobolds. Yeah, baby kobolds all over again. Right. Hmm. I think we had like there was. Someone maybe might have been playing a ranger, and they were like, well, I'm not so sure about this because he was neutral good. And so I do – there was a bit of debate about it, but I think they they neutralized the uh, situation. I knew the, the, the person who played the knight errant did not partake. Let's put it that way. Hmm. I think the thieves did the dirty work <laughs> or something like that. So, all right. Well, what do we want to? We want to rate this module at all, or one out of one to five swords as we normally do, like we normally do. Five swords, okay. man. Yeah, five swords definitely a definite picking up pickup for a DM to have in his campaign. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is a must. There's just so much here, and the way it's laid out, 
there's a lot for the PCs to do. You have the mystery and all the backstory that you can intertwine and just twist and make it your own and fit, easily fit it into any campaign you would run. Just it's absolutely. Great. And on the other side of that, if you are like a, a fan of Greyhawk, like I am, I even think I have a more appreciation of this series now than I did in the past. Cause as I've said, doing all the research and all the different takes and I, how it might all be intertwined with other things that's going on in that world it gives a, a much more impactful to me. So that's why I like it. All right. Cool. Um, so what do we have left? Well, we have a creature feature left. Let's head into that. Yes. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature feature theater. And now in the Creature Feature Theater, we are going to talk about uh, one of the giant brethren you'll actually run into in a little later in the G-Series, the Etten. It's the two-headed giant. You may, the, and unlike the two-headed giant you may be more familiar from, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. these Which two are he- three heads. Yes, the three-headed, two-headed giant. Yes. The, the two-headed Etten... Actually, while it does have two separate heads, one of the heads is dominant. Yes. Yes. So that's the head in charge. And the heads don't actually sit there and bicker and argue with each other. They're not nagging each other. So let's just get that out of the way. They are chaotic evil, so they're just going to cause chaos and destruction because Mm -hmm. they're evil. 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 They're always... They prefer remote areas, always underground. They like darkness and nocturnal. And then they have two attacks, one with each arm. However, they do different damage because one's dominant and one's not. Mm-hmm. 2d6 for the right, 3 or 3d 3 to 18 for the right and 2 to 16 for the left. And then they're also ridiculously hard to surprise. They only surprise on a one because they have two heads. <laughs> so there was also an ecology Ed Greenwood wrote in Dragon ah, 92. I'm glad you mentioned that. The College of the Etten, a good article. Yes, it is, because it adds so much to the Etten that the little entry in the monster manual does not cover. And that's uh, issue number 92? Issue number 92 starts on page 29, and it's spelled The Ecology of the Etten. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're really, they're not very bright. They're kind of dumb. But they're really tricky and cunning when it comes to chasing, ambushing, and fighting. Mm -hmm. That's about it. And they, they're also not very trusting, so you're not going to be able to parlay and, tr- and tr- trick the uh, simpleton Etten into, like, doing your bidding. Because me no trust you. So, but there's some, what I found interesting was, like, the notes at the end. It's like, it made mention in the Monster Manual that they actually do have, like, uh, they how they prefer the darkness and that with... 
in this ecology they actually go into, they actually have keen senses for hunting. Like they have infravision at nine inch range and they, the sense of smell sufficiently developed to distinguish, but they can tell an animal by its smell, unusual, specific, known to be dangerous sense within three. They also, they do hate sunlight, light uh, or sun, they dislike sunlight or other strong light intensely. It doesn't harm them. The dislike comes from the habit and conditioning, their self-preservation, because they prefer to hunt at night and use their senses. So they don't like the light, but it's not going to be like, ah, bright mm-hmm. light, bright light. Also, they have two brains. So that means certain sl- spells such as sleep, fear, and charms don't quite work the same. You have to cast it twice on them, one for each head. <laughs> Which is a little fun when you uh, cause one head to sleep, but the other doesn't because that means one half of their body is asleep. Right, so they only have one arm, mm-hmm. and then the, I mean the dominant takes over, so they can still fight, but they're just not quite as effective. So anything yeah, you might want to give them some like negatives to hit if that happens. Right, I would actually maybe. Uh, they're AC because now they're even more immobile because they have their legs asleep. Oh, uh, okay. And then I'll just give them the one arm. And then also other – but other group spells like repulsion, mass charm, psionic domination affect both heads as one. And they sit, the creature only gets one saving throw even though they do have two heads in those cases mm-hmm. as well. Then it gets into the interesting that if the dominant head is destroyed, say you decapitate it somehow or severely damage it, it'll be confused for 1d6 rounds, after which the single head will gain control of the opposite arm. So then it'll only be capable of flailing wildly until it figures out how to use both arms with a single head. And this process takes one to two months. Hmm. Weird. Yeah. And then because of their low intelligence, they have minus one to save on all types of illusions. But each head gets a saving throw. So one head could see the illusion. The other may save. Again, just more interesting. All of a sudden, you find yourself only being attacked by, like, a left arm if your illusion kind of works. (laughs) (laughs) And then they... Any creature who's conversant in orcish will be able to understand that about 60% of what the etentung... Because they often howl and slobber when talking, especially when frustrated and pain. So it's an offshoot of orcish, essentially. Yeah. So that makes you wonder, okay, so how do the Ettons and the Orcs fit together if they kind of share a common language? Well, Mm. you know, if you look at the picture, they kind of have like piggish noses. Yeah. So, I wonder if they're like giant mutant two-headed orcs. Maybe they're like a uh, some sort of weird either crossbreed or maybe they were like a uh, magic user wizard experiment gone awry that merged mm-hmm. the two and hence the two heads. Yep. Then the also the offspring of a pair of Ettons have no combat ability until six months. So if you get into the nursery of the Ettons, you don't have to worry about the little babies. Then, I love what it says about their skins that yeah. they wear. Yes, the skins are uncured and rotting and have parasitic diseases. So you go under the DMG and look those up. <laughs> yes, you get to use those disease charts that I, I love using. Then that and also throw rocks. Yeah, be- I actually like that. They actually finally give 
some stats of what you know when they throw rocks, possibly stone, that <laughs> yeah, that they two to twelve points of damage per you know, hit. And and then it said they can throw one per hand per arm. So you're getting nice. two rocks thrown at you. And then it also says they <clears throat> worship the god Rolanotter or Nator. And then this is the ET is usually known by slightly different names as Rolanetor or Grelinor among the Etans that revere and worship it. And then a very few Etans revive so there are shaman Etans. Very yeah, few the, of them. Third yeah, level. Up the third level, yeah. Yeah, I love that article. It really gives them some uh, depth. Right. It just yeah, the ecology on this takes what was just a really a th- few throwaway sentences in the DMG and gives you a really fleshed out character that you can kind of see how their entire social structure is organized and how to better use them. Because when you just look at because really the entry is mostly just a stat block in the mm-hmm. monster manual. But this makes it come to life. And yeah, just absolutely. So you could it. yeah, I you could actually build an adventure just around maybe around Ettons. Right. You know, because you have now you have a whole kind of social structure around them, like you said. Right. So you could just have like a pair of Ettons with their babies <laughs> that yeah. maybe moved into the area and are just like destroying the livestock. Or yeah, it'd be a good that'd be a good side adventure, even to this. Right. To the giant series. Right, because now that they're in the the Ettons start showing up and they're dumb and they're chaotic evil. Yep. So now, so they're not going to follow instructions all that well. No. So you might want to make like a little sidetrack adventure to the to the Ettons stronghold, if you will. Right. So and maybe they are led by the cousin of the Etten. The giant two-headed troll. Yes. Out of the Fiend Folio, which is a troll Etten crossbreed. So you thought Ettens were bad enough. Now you got ones that could regenerate. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be really cool. That's a good idea. Having a kind of a side module, if you a side adventure to one of the to the giant series, to um. You know, maybe an adventure with Ettons. Right, yeah. When you have all these giant humanoids getting gathered together, that that includes Ettons and others as well. So why not integrate them into this as well? Yeah. And and Vince, you said Thorky uh, did uh, up the G9? Uh, yeah, I just he just provided them to me via email. So what I think we're going to do is after we're done with G3, we're going to go right to G4 and then G5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Just That's, do the whole thing, huh? Yeah. Continuation and release G4 after we're done with the show, then G5, right. then G6. Right. He said feel free to uh, pass <laughs> along to the fans. Oh, well, a gift from Thorky from us to you, <laughs> our fans. Yes. Uh, it, this is that is our special insert for issue 150, the G four through nine coming up. Hey, I like it. So we'll have some extra another six shows just based on the giant series. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I know. I have G four right here. I'll have to pull that out. 
Now, was the whole idea that he maybe if you didn't want to go with the whole drow thing, you just focus on the giant stuff? I guess so. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That's kind of cool. And he also I just like gave it. me the uh, super module G four to G nine, so we have that as shiny. Yeah. So anyway, I guess that's going to conclude the show for today. Yeah, that was really fun. I can't wait to do the rest of them because there's just so much cool stuff in these. So we'll have to, um, when we do G3, Nick, you said you had the super module, right? I have not, I don't have the super module. I have the, what was the, the compilation G1, 2, and 3 against the Giants. Oh, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I have, have the super module. One. You have the, the G, GDQ Oh, the GDQ. The, oh, the, oh, you're talking the one that also includes the Demon Web and all of that. Yeah, I don't have that one. Yeah, I don't have that one either. I have the, the Against the Giants, the G-Series compilation. Yeah, Is I have it, the separate modules, uh, the Vault of the Drow, Descent the Depths of the Earth, and all that. Um, is there anything different in that compared to the G1? Is there anything, any new material in there? or is this No, the actually, the yeah, with module g123 against the giants yeah um everything is the same as far as g1 is concerned okay uh g2 and the only other difference is is there's a couple of pieces of artwork that were dropped and save space probably yeah and also in the g1 Two, three against the Giants. That's that's the one that has like the dark green cover. Yeah, and has the artwork by Willingham on the front. It has the stuff about the Drow in the back, and also has a list of new spells. And it has the um, the nine tournament characters used in the tournament series. So those are listed in the back. And I think someone I, I read somewhere that there's some there's a couple of discrepancies with the tournament characters as far as you know some things that they shouldn't be able to do. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So I'll have to look into that further. But all right. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned for our next show where uh, we'll do G two. G two. Glacial Rift of the Frost Giant Yarl. Roar! Roar! So I guess we'll say keep it original, keep it old school, and peace, love, and hugs. Roar! Roar! I bring hugs. Roar! Nice. <laughs> Initiative Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Thank you.